we're going to begin looking at today is long, it's lengthy, it's uh, neglected by those who prefer the short and sweet, uh, it's probably skipped over, now this is going to depend what age demographic you're from to what you relate to, but it's going to be what was maybe skipped over by the Reader's Digest crowd. And then in my day when I was in college, let's see, where's my witnesses at? We had Cliff's Notes. Anybody remember what Cliff Notes, Cliff's Notes were? But nowadays, I get it, it's Quizlet. Talk to me, young people. Uh-huh. Quizlet, yeah, what? Chegg. Quizlet, blank list and story shots. If you've got to read a book, I might have just gave you some. If you need to read a book and you didn't read it, blank list and story shots. That's two ways you can get good summaries. But which, whichever way... Uh, what we're going to look at today is it's lengthy, what we're going to start looking at today. It's multifaceted, but it's very rich, and I promise you it's worth the time that we're going to spend on it for the next few weeks. And it is Psalm chapter 119. It is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And before we dig into it, it's important for you to understand some background on it. Psalm 119 is comprised of 22 stanzas. Each stanza is eight verses long, and each verse has two lines. And each stanza sequentially begins with a letter, if you didn't realize this, of the Hebrew alphabet. So there was a structure and a purpose and a reason to David's wordiness. He wasn't just another long-winded preacher. Y'all talk to me this morning. I know sometimes I'm long-winded. He wasn't just shooting off at the mouth. He had something important to say, and it was well thought out, it was well planned, and it was well developed. And in fact, there's a tradition in the Eastern Orthodox Church that King David actually used this psalm to teach his son Solomon both the Hebrew alphabet and also the alphabet of the spiritual life, how we should live spiritually. And as tempting as it may be for this long-winded preacher, I'm going to refrain from taking one stanza each week for the next 22 weeks. Aren't y'all glad? Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, did anybody want me to take one stanza a week for the next 22 weeks? No, that's what I thought. I'm going to refrain from that. But we're going to give you a summarization. We're going to give you the Cliff Notes version if we can. Uh, and I want you to practically apply this word to your life. And it is more of a teaching. Charles Spurgeon, when he was examining Psalm 119, he wrote 398 pages about this one chapter, devoted it in his writings, and called it the treasury of David. If you've never looked at that, I encourage you to. It's wonderful reading. Uh, a preacher of old, a well-known preacher of old by the name of Thomas Manton. Do you know Thomas Manton wrote 190 sermons based on this one chapter in the Bible. That's amazing to me. So it's a big task to try to simplify it and condense it down over the next five weeks, but that's what we're going to do. And I want you to notice that Psalm 119 has some major themes that run throughout its passages. And there's some particular lessons that I want us to take time to ponder on and to learn. And I want to encourage you sometime between today and the next four Sundays after today, take the time to read Psalm 119 in its entirety. If you read a little each week till you get it all read, read the whole thing because it's, it'll be important to you and the verses will speak to you. But the first theme, and we're going to get to the scripture, the most obvious theme that David spends a considerable amount of time addressing is the Word of God. It's one of the first themes that he talks about. And you should know this because as little as you may know about Psalm 119, 
I guarantee almost everybody in this room knows about verse 105. It said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Almost everybody in the room knew that passage of scripture. But I also want us to go back and to realize that from start to finish, David was trying to teach Solomon what was important in life. Solomon was his son. And he was trying to teach Solomon what was important in life. Please don't shoot the messenger this morning, but can I tell you a lot of what we spend a whole lot of time and money teaching our children are not the important things in this life. I didn't think I'd get a huge response from that. But David was in fact trying to teach Solomon what was important in life. And he drives home the importance of God's Word. So, as you're cruising along through the Word of God, this chapter, to me, it's like a road that you turn down and then you realize you're actually on a long, open, major highway. And that's why I have named this sermon series Route 119. And today we're going to talk about the first part of this. And we're going to see what the psalmist has to say about the Word of God. If you'll stand with me all over the room. Psalm chapter 119. And I am going to jump around so it will be easier for you to follow on the screen beginning with verses 1 through 3, and then we'll skip to some other verses. The psalmist said, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong. That doesn't mean that they don't necessarily sin, but we're talking about those that hold the statutes and stick to the Word of God. They do no wrong, but they follow His ways. Drop down to verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Boy, can I tell you that's a question needs answered in the church today. Can somebody help me preach? How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to the Word. Now I'm going to say something that a lot of people won't say today in churches. Are you ready? If you are living together out of wedlock, you are living in opposition to the Word of God. Well, I got a couple patty cakes. I said if you are living together out of wedlock, can I tell y'all something? This is a problem in the church today. Nobody wants to address it. Nobody wants to speak about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Quite frankly, I hope your kids are in kids' church. What everybody wants to do is have sex without commitment. It's what they want to do. And then they want to work in the church while they're doing it. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm not the author of the book. I'm just presenting to you what it says. And if you're living together out of wedlock, you're living in direct opposition to the Word of God and you need a lesson in purity. How can you live in purity? By living according to the Word of God and what it says. That went over like... A Jimmy Swaggart message in a Billy Graham crusade. Somebody say amen. Verse, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 24, drop down there. Your statutes or your word are my delight. They are my counselors. And verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for your presence. I've already felt here. 
Lord, I know that this is a different type preaching for me, and I pray that you would anoint me, that I would teach your word today with wisdom and with clarity. I pray, Lord, that you would remove every hindrance and distraction for the next few moments that would prohibit us and hinder us from hearing and receiving what your word would speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what your word is telling us, not only today, but as we take this journey down this highway through your word, God, to mark up to it and to do what it says to do so that our lives will be enriched by your presence and so that you will continue to do what it is that you do best. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've been doing, and that's saving, sanctifying, healing, delivering, and filling with your Holy Spirit. We give you the praise. And so, God, I'm asking you to do it today. Day through your word and we'll give you the glory the honor and the praise in Jesus name and everybody said amen, amen. you may be seated thank you pastor Nicholas although I might need you to pull out a ham and be three organ before this is over David simply states that our involvement in the word our daily interaction with the word of God our knowledge of the word has a direct and a drastic impact on how we walk I'm going to talk to you about three points this morning, and the first one is the Word of God has implications on how we walk. And in fact, he states that it was the Word that keeps us from sin. Simply stated, we sin when we sin because of a lack of the Word. You see, without God's Word, we don't know right from wrong. Without God's word, we can't discern right from wrong. The standards of God are found in the word. And we hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against him. That's what the word tells us to do. But here's our issue in the church. Are you ready for it? We hide sin in our heart. And we never get enough of his word to drive out the stuff that we've hidden. And we're experts on hiding things in our hearts. We're experts on hiding anger, hiding bitterness, hiding lust, hiding malice, hiding the want for revenge. Somebody talked to me this morning. Hiding uh, jealousy of others. And the only hope that we have in order to walk right and upright before the Lord is to allow the Word to drive out the things that we have hidden in this heart. And David is clear that our only hope for walking in purity is to live according to God's Word. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, we're saved by the blood. You know what the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But we are washed, did you know this, by the Word. We're saved by the blood, but we are washed by the Word. Now, when we board our dogs, we got two little house dogs that think they're people. Anybody else have those? And they're just as, they are, they're as clean as they can be, well behaved. I mean, I've got one that I think would let his bladder rupture before he would ever have an accident in the house. And um, when, we, when we go somewhere, we board them with a lady who's great to our dogs, but she boards other dogs. And when she has them, she, has a, she keeps them inside because they're house dogs and she has kennels for them uh, in the room that she has built for them. But then she always lets them outside to play. She's got a big pen in her yard for the little dogs so that the big dogs 
dogs are kept away from the little dogs. And where there's, she's always keeping dogs, the grass is worn off the ground there. So it's always, even if it's hot outside, it's going to be dusty. And if it's rainy outside, it's going to be muddy. But come rain or shine, she makes sure those dogs get to play. Well, when those dogs come home, how many know the very first thing that my wife says has to happen as soon as they come out of the pet taxi? We divide and conquer, and she takes the littlest one to the mudroom sink, and I take the bigger one to the bathroom upstairs, and they get washed. They need to be washed. Are you with me this morning? How many of you would like to be sitting today next to somebody that hasn't had a bath since last Monday? Can I see your hand? Because we're going to make sure you get to sit with them when they show up. Amen. But can I tell you this morning, I'm going to step on some toes when I say this. But can I tell you this morning, if the only time that you get washed in the Word is on Sunday morning, you're living a pretty stinky week the rest of the week through. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, we are washed by the Word. This world makes us dirty day in and day out. I don't even work a physical job. Uh, the job that I work, I mean, I work here and I do real estate. You all know that. I mean, I may go in houses and things like that, but I don't do anything where I work really hard and sweaty and stinky. But sometimes the first thing I want to do as soon as I come home is take a shower. Can I get a witness? Anybody else like that? Because you feel like you just need to be washed. Can I tell you, that is why it is so important that you develop a plan of regular reading of the Word of God because you need to be washed. Now, I can't do your washing for you when it comes to the Word, and I ain't willing to do your washing for you the other way. God bless those that have to do that for a living. But you need regular washing. The Word said we are washed of water by the Word. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, to make her holy. Who is she? The church. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. See, what we tend to do is we keep running back to church we keep running back to God. See, we got a whole lot of new converts in this church, so I want to try to teach us something today. We, we keep running back and asking uh, God for something, but we never run to his word. We want to plead the blood because the blood doesn't cost us anything. It cost him something, but it didn't cost us anything. But listen to me. We didn't feel the pain of that, but... What we need to do is be immersed in the Word of God, and that will require discipline on your part. It will cost you something. You will feel the pain of daily discipline of the Word of God. David states that the Word is also our counselor. Can I tell you in the church world today, we have a multitude of counselors. And I'm not talking about the certified ones. There's no shame in that if you need to go to that. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is we have a multitude of counselors. We are inundated with opinions. 
You know what the unique thing about opinions is? Everybody's got one. Everybody has got one. We are inundated with opinions. We're overcome with opinions. But can I tell you this morning, everybody else's opinion is not what you're supposed to be concerned about. What everybody else says is not what you're supposed to be concerned about. What we're supposed to be concerned about is what thus saith the word of God. His opinion is the one that matters. So the standard of the word of God should trump all the other voices. And so with David's emphasis on the word, it impacts our walk. But that also means if you don't have the right amount of word in you, you're going to struggle with your walk. If you don't get the right amount of word in you, you're going to continue to struggle with sin. You're going to continue to struggle with purity. And you're going to continue to struggle with wisdom. Secondly, I'm going to move on. The Word of God has implications on how you walk, but it also has implications on how you weather. Let's look at some other verses this morning. Verse 28, David said, My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Verses 61 and 62, Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law or your word. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws or your word. Drop down to verse 74. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. Psalms uh, verse 114 said, you are my refuge and my shield. Here it is again. I have put my hope in your word. Look at verse 153. Look on my suffering and deliver me for I have not forgotten your law or your word. Verse 165. Great peace have those who love your word and nothing can make, say nothing. Nothing can make them stumble. Somebody said, the devil made me do it. That's because you didn't have enough word. Come on, somebody. Verse 169, may my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to what? Your word. Verse 175, let me live that I may praise you. We've been talking about praise this morning, doing some praise. You did some praise. Praise is good. But what's this word tells you? Sustained you. The word. Praise is good. But it, and God will inhabit your praise, like I've already told you. But it's not your praise that will sustain you. You've got to have the word. See, some of y'all this morning are in the midst of storms. You are facing significant trials and heartaches in your lives. You're not on the offensive, you're living on the defensive. You've been the pigeon before, but now you're going to be the statue. That's what it means to weather. You're weathering the storm. And David gives us insight to the fact that it's the Word of God that enables us and empowers us to endure and to survive. And here's what David says, his Word strengthens you. How many knows if you're weathering a storm, you need strength? You need reinforcement. The strength comes from God's word. I got news for you. It doesn't come from your best friend. You're not going to find it because you up and decide to take a vacation. Me and I'm going to help you out. Ladies, you're not going to find it with retail therapy and taking a shopping trip. And all the men said, 
all the men was afraid to say, yeah, you're not going to find it because I didn't hear very many men. There's a lot of men in here. I didn't hear y'all. I don't blame you. If I sat next to her, I wouldn't have said it either. Amen. You're not going to find it from anything else. You know where you find your strength? In the Word. See, David declares that even when you're bound, based on the Word of God, you can learn to praise God right in the middle of the storm if you have the Word. Right in the midnight hour if you have the Word. Y'all remember Paul and Silas? i got to ask you a question this morning. Do you have enough word down inside of you to let God turn your prison into praise at the midnight hour? Do you have enough word to turn that midnight hour into a praise party? Do you have enough word down inside of you to turn your pouting into praise? You know what I learned a long time ago? Pentecostals are good at pouting. We pout well. You know why? We're emotional people. Angie and I was behind a, the cutest little girl I think I ever saw at TJ Maxx yesterday. Her mama told her not to do something, and you've never seen more put on in your life. She was probably three, and she went, puckered those lips up just like you see it drawn in a cartoon. She was pouting. She knew she was a professional powder. Well, glory. I just come up with a new term this morning. Some of us turn into professional powders. Will somebody help me preach? Do you have enough word inside of you to turn your pouting into praise? Do you have enough word down on the inside of you to exchange that spirit of heaviness for a garment of praise? How many know what I'm talking about this morning? See, he states in the word that God's word becomes the place for our hope. In other words, if you're going through a tough place, you got to remember to put your hope in what God's word has promised you. And it's not just about your finances that we talked about during the offering that God's made promises to you in the word. Are you with me? David was not talking about prophecy. He was talking, and prophecy's good, and I believe in it. But David was talking about the simple promises and assurances that are contained in the Word of God. Did you know that in addition to the promise I've already mentioned this morning about finances, Psalm 136 and 1 promises you that God will love you forever. Did you know that? That means you can't go far enough. Hallelujah. You can't go, you can't stray away enough. You can't do enough that'll stop him from loving you. God's word promises you that God will love you forever. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 promises us that God will never, say never, never leave you. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 13 promises that God will comfort you. Psalms chapter 121 and verses 1 and 2 promises that God will help you when you need help. Psalm 46 and 1 promises that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help. That means a right now I need you, God, kind of help in the time of trouble. Psalms 33 and 4 promises us that God is always faithful. Anybody found that to be true? Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7. Listen to this. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7 promises 
that God will keep you safe. Did you know that? And I love this one. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9 promises you that God will always keep his promises. Isn't that good? You ought to give him some praise this morning. And I'm almost about to wrap this up. Some of you have no hope, though, or feel like you have no hope because you won't turn to his word. You stumble through dry, painful stints, and you long for somebody to call you and give you hope. You long for somebody to give you a word. Or you're chasing around service to service to service. Somebody talk to me. Trying to find where something's moving because you need somebody to give you something, but you can't seem to find what you need. Can I tell you, you're looking in the wrong places. God's given you 66 books that you can turn to that will give you hope in your time of trouble. See, God's just waiting on you to place your hope in, in the word he's already given you. That's a choice. That's a decision. That's an act of your will to place your hope in the word of God. And if you will assign and align your hope and fix your hope, you will find what God has already promised you and what the Word of God has already said. And can I tell you something this morning? Can I be real with you? You are not always going to feel like serving. You are not always going to feel like worshiping and praising. Somebody talk to me. You are not always going to feel even like doing the right thing or being the one to set the example. My wife had to tell me this past week. She said, don't forget you're a pastor. People know you're a pastor. Sometimes you don't always want to do the right thing. Somebody talk to me up in here. Or is, am I the only one that needs what I'm preaching this morning? Sometimes you don't always want to be the example setter. Sometimes you wish you could just get everybody to turn their head for just a little second. It won't take you long to take care of that. Can I get a witness this morning? You're not always going to feel like it. You're not always going to feel like getting up on Sunday morning and coming to church. You're not always going to feel like worshiping. You're not always going to feel like setting the example. But can I tell you something this morning? God looks down. And when he sees somebody that from what the devil has done, most people would be curled up in the corner in a fetal position. But because you had the word in you, you got up, you dressed up, and you showed up. And when you did, God came down right in the midst of the situation. It means something to keep getting up, keep dressing up, and keep showing up. Listen, the devil don't know what to do with somebody that does that. God's word also says, according to David, that it'll bring you peace. If you don't have peace in your life, it could mean that you don't have enough of the word. David said that nothing, say nothing again. Nothing can make you stumble. Nothing. 
not a nasty divorce, not a terminal illness, not a financial nightmare, not troubled children, not evil employers or co-workers. Nothing can knock you off your stride when you are in love with the Word of God. He said the Word brings understanding. It sustains us. The Word is our refuge. But can I tell you, a refuge is only good if you run to it in the time of trouble. And if you're weathering, it's absolutely essential for you to ingest, dine on, binge on, if you will, the Word of God. That sounds foreign to us because most of the time we just, when we have trouble, we want to lay on the couch and if we binge anything, it's Netflix. Talk to me, somebody. You need to try binging on the Word of God. That's foreign to most of us. Some of us want to turn to food. Any other stress eaters besides me in the house? Yeah. Some of us want to turn to friends. Some of us turn to other distractions. We spend our energy looking to everything and everybody before we expend our energy looking to see what the Lord has to say about it. David says, turn to the Word. Turn to the Word. Think about what you're missing if you don't have the Word. You can weather anything if you have the Word. And thirdly and lastly, the Word has implications on how you war. Does anybody realize that we are engaged in a fight? Anybody else fighting? I'm going to read these scriptures and then I want them to come to the music. Psalm 119, 41 and 42. He said, may your unfailing love come to me, Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Verse 98. Your commands are always with me. Watch this. And makes me wiser than my enemies. Now look at verse 114. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in what? Your word. See, we want God's help to defend us and help us endure. But most of us never consult God on how we're supposed to fight. We like to fight in our own power and in our own might. And the end result is we end up bruised, battered, defeated, or even worse, if we win or what we think is winning, we leave a path of destruction behind us that God has to come along and clean up. But David relates our ability to war correctly to our knowledge and love for God's Word. Can I tell you, God's Word enables us to guard our mouths and answer correctly. I told Angie this week I, was, I allowed myself to be forced into an answer that I should have just said, I'm not going to say. But I, and I told her, I said, I shouldn't have done that. I should not have gave that answer. I should have just said, I'm not going to say. God's Word enables us to guard our mouths and answer correctly. But if we're being real, that'd be a major leap towards maturity for some of us. Some of us like to boast and brag that we just, we just speak what's on our minds. 
You know, you don't never have to know where you're staying with her or him. Be a step towards maturity if we'd learn to guard our mouths and answer correctly. David says that we destroy, we do damage, we inflict pain with our mouth. But David says, look in the Word. When you look in the Word, you'll know how to answer those that are attacking. You'll know how to answer those that are taunting. I see some of y'all nodding your heads at me. And you'll know how to answer those that are talking smack about you. Anybody ever had somebody talk smack about you? I want you to listen to one more thing the Word does. He said that the Word will make you wiser than your enemy. Can I tell you that many times, especially in the church, most of us believers just fight dumb. We fight dumb. The Word said He'll make you wiser than your enemy. How much more effective could we fight and battle if we were able to fight with wisdom? Some of us are pulled into defeat over and over again simply because our enemy is smarter than we are. Because we've failed to find the wisdom that comes from God's Word. Did you know that this book contains battle plans and battle strategies and tactics for your victory? Did you know that? This Word, yes, we ought to, we ought to give God praise for that. This Word contains battle plans and strategies and tactics for your victory. But when we have no word, we operate in our own power and we get beat to death. When Jesus was assaulted by the devil, Jesus himself didn't even result to his own verbiage. You know what he said to the enemy? It is written. It is written. Some of y'all would do good to look that devil and that battle in the eye and say, listen, it is written. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. It is written. God's word said he'd never leave me. It is written. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is my healer. It is written. We don't use what's available to us. My Lord, I feel the Lord this morning. We want to think that because we assemble together and we have a, a good worship team and a, and a good service production, and yes, they're anointed, but that this is going to carry us when we're waging war against the devil and the enemy of our souls. No, you need the Word of God buried deep within you. He said, finally, his word is our shield. Can I tell you something? You'll never make it in a war if all you have is a sword. You can attack somebody else with the sword, but you need a shield if you're going to protect yourself. Without the word, you're vulnerable and you're unarmed. If you'll stand with me all over the room today. And I tell you, many who call themselves Christians, we have a deficiency of fellowship. That's why we talk about connect groups and the importance that you fellowship with those people. Can I also tell you, many Christians also have a deficiency of accountability. 
Can I talk about that in just a second? Accountability. I'm learning that we're not as teachable as most of us claim to be. We're not as teachable as most of us claim to be because the moment that somebody who, I'm not just talking about anybody, I'm talking about somebody that has a position of authority over you. And when they lovingly correct you with the word, I'm finding that most people that even claim to be seasoned Christians, they're like, I'm out. I ain't putting up with that. I'm out. Can I tell you? I call people up that are over me in the Lord and I say, tell me if I'm wrong. And can I also tell you, sometimes I get told I'm wrong. And it's amazing how that still makes you mad even though you asked for it. Come on, somebody. It's amazing how that still bothers you even though you asked for it. But I hang up the phone and I realize you asked to be told if you were wrong. And your spiritual authority said, you might be wrong about that. We should take correction. If we claim to be teachable, I said we should take correction from those who are over us in the Lord when they correct us by the Word of God. Because you know what the Word of God also says? He that won't accept reproof is brutish. That's what the Word says. But my greatest concern, yes, we lack fellowship. We have a deficiency of accountability. But you know what my greatest concern is? And I promise I am closing with this. We have far too many faithful church attenders, faithful, in there every Sunday. But their greatest deficiency is the Word. They don't know the Word. They're not in the Word on a regular basis. Can I tell you that other things can fill that void, but nothing will help you walk. Nothing will help you weather. Nothing will help you war against the adversary of your soul except the Word of God. So with every head bowed and every eye closed all over this room, you may be sitting here today. And I want to unwrap some word for you very quickly. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, or if you're sitting there and you say, Pastor, I don't know. 100% beyond the shadow of a doubt that if I went out into eternity today that I would make heaven my home. If you don't know 100%, would you care with nobody looking around to just slip your hand up? Just, I'm not going to call you out. I just want to see. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? I'm not 100%. Thank you for that hand. I'm not 100% ready. Yes, thank you for that hand. Not 100% sure that I would go to heaven if I went into eternity today. Anybody else? I want to tell you what the Word says. The Word says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God to the glory of God the Father, if you believe that He died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, He was buried and He rose on the third day, if you believe and you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. That's what the Word says. It really is that simple. Somebody that's accepted Jesus, testify with me this morning. It really is that simple. And all you have to do is make the decision today. And Jesus Christ will be the best decision you've ever made. But I knew when the Lord gave me this 
beginning of this sermon series, I'm talking a lot to a lot of believers. And you simply need to swallow your pride this morning and come to this altar or find another place to pray and say, God, the first part of this sermon series, as we go down Route 119, I've recognized I have a deficiency of the Word in my life, and I'm going to fix that because I need you to help me walk. I need you to help me weather, and I need you to help me walk.